thanks for leading, leading us. Thanks for the new song. It's, good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, it's really, really good to be up here. It'd be good, good to be with you. My name's Tim. I'm lead pastor here. And uh, yeah, if, if, you've, if you've been gone or if, if you're new, uh, I, uh, I had a, a fun medical situation, emergency, whatever word fits. Uh, my spleen ruptured itself somehow. And uh, so they make you go to the hospital for that. So I, I did that and uh, spent a few nights just getting to know folks there and then got to come home and lay around and do nothing for about 10 days. And uh, yeah, I, I, was, I, I was here last week and could handle about uh, seven minutes up here. And so just said hi. And, and uh, I, I want to say again, just uh, how much uh, the, just the love and the appreciation and the support and the prayers and the texts and the food and all of that have meant to, to Abby and I over the last couple of weeks. And so just thank you again. We have felt uh, tremendously loved and valued and cared for. And uh, that means so, so much to us as a family. Uh, and so thanks again. Uh, and if you didn't pray for me or, or send me a text or, or bring me food, um, that's all right. Um, you, you, I, I love you too and, and appreciate you. And so... Um, yeah, so that's that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this again. It's been about a month uh, since I've uh, been up here to to teach and walk through a section of scripture uh, with us. And so uh, I'm gonna pray and ask you to pray uh, for me and with me. Uh, and then we'll we'll continue on in our series through uh, a short little letter book in the tail end of the Bible uh, called First Peter. Um, and so as I pray, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to go find one. Um, I'm gonna dive in right after we say Amen. So uh, yeah, we're in First Peter. Find a Bible. Pray with me. Jesus, we are here because of you. And even as we sing that song, God, we acknowledge all those things that we just said. And as Phil just articulated, many of us in this room right now, we doubt, we question, we're skeptical, maybe even cynical that, that you're real, that you're here, that you're good, that you love us. And so we need those words that where there's not a way, you make a way, that you are the author of miracles, that you work miracles in our lives, some that we see, some that we don't see, that you're the light in the darkness, that you're good. And so in this place and right now and in our hearts and our minds, we declare that, that you are the God of all of the universe, that you're the creator, that you're the one that watches over and is near, that you're here with us right now. We declare that and proclaim that in this place that your power and that your justice and your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness and your love would be tangible for us, not just in this time and place, but in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for your work among us right now because without you and without you working, we, we feel left out, we feel far away, we can despair. And so would you come and would you wake us up would you sharpen our minds? Help us to see clearly and to know clearly. Help us to believe. And Jesus, you're alive. You're not dead. You were executed on a cross. You were buried. And then you conquered death and rose again. And so as you bring more of your power and your truth and your reality into our lives and into our world, uh, we worship you. We follow you. Uh, we listen for your voice. And so would you help us to hear right now as we look to your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Peter writes to a group of 
new followers of Jesus that are spread around through modern-day Turkey. It's, he writes specifically to five different towns that have funny names, and uh, he says, look, it's, it's hard to, to follow Jesus because everyone around you is not following Jesus. Very, very few people. You know, I have a few friends, you have a small church, but, but most people around you, everything is oriented in the other direction, and you're trying to follow Jesus. And so I want to give you some words of encouragement. And one of the words of encouragement that he, he gives to these people is, um, hey, here's just a simple list um, of how to live in a different way, how to go this way when everybody's going that way. Here's, here's some ways just to live differently. And uh, if you have, have ever felt like you are different, if you've ever felt like you don't fit in, if you ever felt like uh, you're odd and unique in ways that you don't want to be odd and unique, and if you just could fit in a little bit better and kind of feel like you're normal, um, a list of ways to be different isn't particularly encouraging. But yet that's what, what Peter gives them, and that's actually what he gives those of us that are seeking to follow Jesus today. Uh, Peter says he's writing from Babylon, but he's not really writing from Babylon. He's writing most likely from Rome. Babylon is in the past, and it's a different place. And um, it was everything that was oriented away, and it has a piece in Israel's history. And so that's why he, he uses it as kind of a metaphor, as a picture of, hey, I'm, I'm writing from this time in, our, in Israel's past when they were taken out of what they knew and put in a place where they didn't know and didn't fit in. And so he uses Babylon as an example, and he says, imagine being in a place where everything is, is where you're different and you don't fit in. Um, but there's hope even in that. And so this is a letter of hope, and as we've been going through it for a number of weeks now, uh, we get to this list where he says, here's some, here's some ways to be different. But it's not just ways to be different. He, he front ends it with the why. Why would you live differently? And so I want to read just five verses together this morning, and then I want to walk through them. And before we get to the list, we get to the why would you possibly care and want to. And maybe if you don't care about it and you don't want to, maybe that on, a, on like a, on a conviction level, on like a, on, a, on a deep like this is why I exist level and purpose and mission kind of level, why you would actually consider living different from everyone else around you. So it's chapter four in First Peter and it starts in verse seven. First Peter four Verse seven, it says this, the end of all things is near. It's a great way to start, right? <laughs> you want to know the why? Because the end of all things is near, period. Next sentence, therefore, so if you, if you don't connect that, that's, that's the why right there. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So he's got a whole nother like chapter and a half, but he says amen right there. Um, all of us know what, what an engagement and a proposal looks like. 
Um, some of you right now are engaged. Some of you are recently married. Some of you um, got married a long time ago. Some of you got married and then got divorced. Some of you got married, divorced, married again, divorced again. Some of you, I mean, we've all got, we, we get it. Sorry, didn't plan on that. Um, we know what, the, what the, the fun stuff looks like, the, the proposal and the excitement, and we know what that moment is like. I've, I've, I, this is, I don't know why I keep saying this as a confession, but I've been watching, I've, I finished watching through all the seasons of Friends on Netflix. I've heard they're going to take it away, so I've really dedicated and disciplined myself to that and got through it. But I, I watched through Friends, and there's a few episodes where, where uh, I forget his name, but he's trying to propose to, to Phoebe, and uh, and it doesn't go well, and he's back and forth, and, um, and it's kind of, it's ha-ha, it's funny. We, we know what that moment is like. If, if you've ever proposed to another person, you know that the, the work and the plan, hopefully the work and the plans that goes into it, and, and, and the, the thinking about it, and then the actual moment that it happens. And then when, when somebody says yes, you know, hopefully there's a ring involved or something, and then you go, you know, maybe get, even get down on one knee, maybe do it across a, a, a private candlelit uh, dinner table, and and, and you ask, will you, will you marry me? And, and they say yes. When that happens, everything changes. Um, I proposed to Abby, uh, uh, gosh, again, we've been married for 20 plus years, and when I proposed, uh, I, we had been dating for a long time, so I had to surprise her, so I went through all this rigmarole to make it a surprise, and, and you know, we, we did it on, uh, um, off the side of the road on a cliff overlooking um, Huntington Beach at, at night and surprised her with a ring. And then we had a whole night plan. It involved going to dinner by ourselves and then other people got together. And when she said yes, every, everything changed, right? And uh, we went through this. Uh, our engagement was about eight months. And uh, we didn't talk about it too much during those eight months, but years later talked about like, well, what was... What actually went through your mind during that time? When did, oh, well, I, you know, she, she would tell you that she, she had her moments of questioning, do I really want to do this? Um, which still to this day blows my mind. But, um, but she did. Like, I, am I really going to say yes to him? And I had, I had already gone through that process and decided we're in and, you know, we're you know, not taking the ring back. Like, come on. Like, um, just will you just marry me to save me embarrassment and we'll figure the rest out. Um, no. But anyways, we... That whole eight months, everything changed. Her questions that she was asking were differently. Or the way that we spent our time and planning, and then all of that happens, and then, and then we get married, and then there's even a more change after that, right? So, the end of all things is near. When you propose and enter into an engagement period, the end of all things is near. That's what that means, okay? You got that? For those of you who are engaged, you're like, this stinks. Um, when we read and when we hear that first verse, of, of verse 7, the end of all things is near, that's not what we think, right? We think like, like there's going to be a period of time where, and, and then something happens and ends, and then we, we're off into the unknown, right? Which certainly marriage can be that, but, but we hit, hit this end, and it's like the, the time, it's the, like a class ends, and then it goes on, or the workday ends. That, that's our idea of the word ends. And then, and then spiritually speaking and biblically speaking, some of us actually think like the end of this life and then, and then what happens is we've got some idea, but not totally sure. Like have we get some description of heaven and eternal life and all those kind of things. But, but is Peter talking about the, our life ends and then we don't know what's after that? That's not the idea of the word ends there. The, word, the, the, the Greek word is this word telos. And what it means is, is the point of it all, the goal, 
the, the aim, the fulfillment of it all. When a proposal happens and wedding planning starts because they're anticipating a wedding, that is intended to be all good. It's not all good, right? I mean, wedding planning is hard and all that kind of thing. But it's this hopeful thing. It's this excitement thing. People celebrate it. People cheer for one another and say, oh, we can't wait. We can't wait. This is going to be so good. Everything changes, but it's not an end in the sense that something stops. What it means is that, oh, this is great. This, something new is happening. When it says that the fulfillment of all things is near, it means something has changed and it reorients us to everything around us. And the something that has changed that he's talking about is Jesus Christ has come and has been crucified and, and resurrected. And because of that, everything has shifted. It's like the tectonic plates underneath have moved and the landscape is completely different now because those plates have moved underneath the soil and underneath the land. That the whole situation is different and we see it differently. It's like this, uh, Mark 1.15 says, says this. It says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near or, or at hand. It's right here. We can, we can see it, smell it, touch it. It's, I can reach out and, and, and come in contact with it. So repent and believe the good news. Some of the first things out of Jesus' mouth that are recorded in the Gospels. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. So respond in this way. Repent and believe. Everything has changed because the crucifixion has happened and the resurrection has happened. And so when Peter says the end of all things is near, what he's saying is the thing that we've been hoping for, the thing that we've been waiting for, the thing that we've been planning for, which is what? Well, when Jesus was crucified, something happened. These, these, these powers and these influences that are, are at play in our world and our existence came up against a stronger force. Jesus defeated sin and death when he was crucified and resurrected. And so over and over we hear in Scripture the elemental forces or the elemental spirits or the things of this world aren't the strongest things anymore. There's something stronger. That Jesus came in and, and faced all of those, was crucified brutally on a cross, and was buried. And so he came up and fought them. And it looked for a moment like they won. But then he resurrects again. And when he does that, when he conquers sin and death, he institutes a new kind of reality. Everything has shifted. The playing field is different. I used to be single. Now I'm pledged to be married. And so everything is different. I think differently. I act differently. I spend my money differently, my time differently. My planning is different. Everything is different because something has changed. The end of all things is near means the reason that God is working in this world has come really, really close, and it's come close in the person of Jesus. Now, this is written in the first century. We're 2,000 years later. And we can see and point to throughout history and writings in Scripture how that has happened over and over and how God's revelation has come into human existence in a new way. How God's power has come into human existence in a new way. How when Jesus is alive and present with us, there's a new kind of forgiveness and freedom that is available to each and every one of us. And so we live with a different mindset. We live and we see the world differently. At least that's our invitation. That's our calling. The reality is, is that we're stuck in this in-between where that's happened we're here now, and we're not quite yet to the fulfillment of all things. It started, but it's not complete. And so we get stuck, and we get stuck looking prior to Jesus crucified and say, the things of this world are actually really powerful, and they might actually be the most powerful things in my life. Because either I'm not following Jesus, I'm not talking to him, I'm not walking with him, 
I don't believe in Jesus, you're not even interested in Jesus, then those things are going to be most powerful. But when we're stuck in the in-between, our call and what this is inviting us to is to say, no, look at what Jesus is doing and that what God is bringing ultimately. So that's the end of, of all things is near. And then it, it pivots to this, but be different, but behave and live in this way. That's the why. And what we find is for many of us, I, I found this uh, written this week, it says this is, and, and this is not, not just people who don't know Jesus, but for, for some of us that even are following Jesus, and we can relate to Peter's writing to them. We find ourselves, and, and listen to this, it's not going to be up on the screen, I'm sorry, just listen. We find ourselves sleepwalking in lost time. A steady state of intoxication with the normal that renders us incapable of assessing the danger that the normal poses and the damage that it does. Listen to it again. This might be you. Sleepwalking in lost time. Just bumbling our way forward into the next day. A steady state of intoxication with the normal. Being influenced by the normal more than the supernatural. Being influenced by this world more than Jesus that renders us incapable of assessing the danger that the normal poses and the damage that it does, that it shapes our mindset, it shapes the desires of our heart. It conforms us to people of this world rather than people who are following Jesus. And so Peter writes and he says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Because Jesus died and risen again, he's the most powerful thing here. He's, he's taken over, and he's bringing more and more of his kingdom into the here and now. Therefore, be alert and of sober One of the first uh, talks that we did back in September on, on First Peter, we talked about what alert meant. And it, and it has this, it, it translates actually gird up your loins, which actually means to, to take your tunic and to wrap it up around your legs so that you can get ready to run. So if you're thinking about, I'm getting ready to run, um, and, and I'm, I'm wearing, I'm living in the first century and got, got long, long clothes on, I've got to wrap that stuff up around me and tighten it up, and then I can actually go. And it says, be alert, be aware of what's going on around you. Be alert and of sober mind. There's a, a, a commercial right now that uh, it starts with a, a, a guy that looks like he's in his 20s and he, he, uh, he walks out of a store, I think it is, and he, he pops in his earbuds and he, he starts walking um, and he's looking at his phone and he walks out the, um, the store area uh, down through the parking lot, I think, and then out into the street and off into the neighborhood. And he's walking just down the sidewalk like this and, and they never show him look up. He just keeps walking, looking like this with earbuds in and it's toggling between that scene and a family leaving their house and getting out into their car and getting ready to, to back out of the driveway. And, and as they start to back out, um, he's walking down their street and, and they stop right before they, they back into him and, and run him over. Um, and it's advertising a, a, a car with a re, you know, review camera thing. Um, and that's, that's the idea of, of not being of sober mind and alert. Of, of being alert and sober mind to this right here and not to everything else that's going around. Of just being focused in, and it might be something really good. But what we hear is, 
Are you looking up and seeing the whole picture? This might be really good, but there's something better else around. And why in a time when people already aren't fitting in and are struggling with feeling different, and for them they were even struggled with persecution and suffering because they were following Jesus. He says, this is the why. This is, there's something more real than just our experience here. There's something bigger going on. And so to be a part of it, here's some, here's some suggestions on how to be a part of it by being different. And it says, the, the first one is, is, a, is, is both simple and, and most of us would say, like, I, I don't do, do great with that. It's, it's this. The first one says this, that you may pray. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. To be alert of, what's, of what Jesus is actually doing in this world and wants to do and wants to invite us into being a part and, and so pray. That praying is actually a way of being alert and of sober mind. That talking to God, I had a professor early on in seminary that says, you want to know the, the biggest demonstration of faith in Jesus? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure I've, I've got that one down. What's the biggest one? You know, I, it was, it was, you know, I thought something like cast out a demon. Uh, that'd be great. Never encountered a demon knowingly. I'd love to, love to be able to cast one out. Or, could, could, could I heal? What if we did that? What if I could heal somebody? That'd be great. Is that, is that I mean, I'm really, and he said, prayer. Dang it. I don't have that one down great. A prayer. And so, you know, all of us, you know, eager young students were like, wait, what? Wait, what? And he's like, yeah, do you realize, you know, I thought he was going to get all, all, you know, like wow us with something. No, it was super simple. You close your eyes and you talk to somebody you can't see. That's, a, that's like a leap of faith. And we're invited to make that part of our normal breathing in and breathing out, our normal day in and day out, our normal just following Jesus is to, is to talk to him. That prayer is the de- largest demonstration of faith. I, uh, the, the last couple of weeks have been odd for me because so many people have said, I'm, I'm praying for you. And, I'm, and by odd, I mean wonderful. Um, but, but what I've, I realized is like, wow, I, I, say that, I say that to people all the time. I made a, a commitment a number of years ago that when I say that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually do it. And that might sound weird coming from a pastor, but if I say I'm going to pray for you, I'm actually going to do it. Um, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to remember specifically, go, I'm going to pray about that person and their need or their struggle or their, um, their answer to prayer, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk to God about it. That, that's being a different kind of person in this world is simply to pray. W- one of the things that we, we said as a church for this year was that we wanted to, to pray. And so we've set aside a time this past year, this summer, we, we did a, a, a thing right here in this room every Sunday night where we got together and just prayed and, and worshiped. Um, we set aside a, a time for m- much of this year um, where on, I forget, I think it was Tuesdays from noon to one. We said, we're just going to open up this room and, and if you want to pray and, and fast, take, take off lunch Tuesday. And, and we just met in that room and, and prayed. You just heard Kim and Adam talk about our, our parking lot. It's, it's fascinating to me. And I had forgotten the actual date that almost to the day, one year ago, we lost our parking lot. And all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, we have an opportunity to get the parking lot back. Almost one year ago to the date, we just prayed as a church that, that God would, would give us that parking lot back. 
that prayer is a normal way of, of living and functioning for us. And so that when we, when we pray, we're not just talking to God about me and him, but that we're talking about the things that we care about. And through that, that God actually shapes us. And that when we not just question, should we pray or not, or how often, or how are we doing, or do we give ourselves a grade on that, that we actually just stop and start talking to him about it. And then in doing that, he meets us and talks to us. Not every time. We don't always hear him. But that we begin to, to hear his voice a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And that he forms us in that. Even in the silence, even when we hear clearly, that we're formed and we begin living in a different landscape that Jesus is alive and working in our world today. The second one is this. He says this in the next verse. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. This is the, above all else, this is the ultimate one. This is the, the, top, the top one. This is the, the core characteristic of the people of God, of those of us who are following Jesus, is to be loved. Now, here's the deal. There's a lot of different kinds of love. There are. I mean, we'd like to think that there's just one kind, but there's a lot of different kinds of love. Even in, in the original language that the New Testament is written in, there's at least four different kinds, and they mean different kinds of love, of different kinds of relationship and interaction. When we talk about love, we often mean very different things, or we mean something so big and it falls within the range. But, but this love is a sacrificial love. Above all else, be willing to sacrifice for one another. And if Jesus is our model, it's, it's the way of of putting another person above ourselves, of giving something up for them. And when it says love covers over a multitude of sins, here it is. Here it is that how we are called to be a different kind of people is that we love one another enough, get this, to forgive. Covers up over a multitude of sin doesn't mean the, the unhealthy kind of, okay, they did that, but I'm never going to talk to them about it. Or I'm just going to overlook that even though I'm hurt and I'm hurt so much it's making me angry and I'm thinking different thoughts about them and I don't like them. I don't want to talk to them and oh, I'm going to fake it. When I, I mean, none of, that's not what this means. Covers over a multitude of sins means we actually forgive. And if you're not familiar with forgiveness means, forgiveness means I'm giving up the, the right. I'm giving up my right to get even with you even though you owe a debt to me. You've done something wrong to me. I've paid a price. I'm hurt, I've lost something, I feel betrayed, whatever it may be. And I'm giving up the right to get even, to exact that debt from you. I'm going to do that. Why would you do that? Why? Because it's been done for me and for you already. That's what this is talking about. This is pointing to Jesus, even in describing the kind of love that we're to have for one another. And in that, when we do that, here's the deal, when we know this, when we actually are willing to step into that and to, to be in a, in a relationship and in a family and a community where somebody hurts another person and we don't split over it, and, and not that we stay together in an unhealthy way where we just all really don't like each other, but when we stay together in a way that we forgive one another, what happens in that is that we appear completely weird and odd because that's not the way of the rest of the world. We can write songs and raps and poems and commercials and movies and stories and books about love, but until you get to this kind of love, you're just dancing around. You're just talking about other stuff. This is at the core of love where two people or a group of people can stay together even though their normal human experience of hurt and pain 
and wrongs done can actually still heal and stay together. Then we appear completely and utterly different. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Is this beautiful picture painted to, well, there's actually a way forward when we wrong one another. That is hope. That is unique. That's healing. That is foreign to a world that longs for that. And the only reason that makes any sense is because Jesus has died and risen again. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Each one of you, not, sorry, not verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You're like, oh man, I've offered so much hospitality, but I, I've grumbled a lot. No. Here's, here's the thing hospitality. I don't know what you think of when you think of hospitality or if you're really good at it or if you're like, man, I was not good at hospitality, but then I found a specific Pinterest board and now I know what hospitality is because I can recreate that in my home. And I, I've got an Instagram that I go to all the time when I'm going to host something and man, I am awesome at hospitality. I'm sure that's partly what Jesus means by hospitality. But this word it specifically is, I'm going to say this in, in, and I I know I'm doing this twice in one morning, but I'm going to add another Greek word for you. Telos was earlier, the end of all things. This word here, hospitality, it, it's philoxenos. I did that pretty good, and, and most of you wouldn't know if I didn't, but philoxenos. The first, it's, it's, it's two words put together, hospitality, two words put together. The first one is essentially philo. Philo, Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's a type of love. It's what we call friendship. Friendship. Philo. Zenhas. It's not a Z, it's an X. Zenhas. It's where we get the word xenophobia. Zenhas means foreigner, stranger, different, alien, other. So we get our term xenophobia. If you've heard the word xenophobia, it's probably most likely connected to politics in our age and more specifically connected to immigrants. And it shows up in our world and throughout history and specifically in modern Western history when one political entity, one nation views another and the people of that nation view another as possibly infringing on their rights and privileges in a way that costs them something. And so... Most likely more than a few of us have opinions about that, ways that we're voting, policies that we're hoping for, politicians that we like or dislike based on their view of immigration, and, and that is all fine and legitimate and what it is. What this is talking about when it says friendship with strangers and puts that together and calls that hospitality, what it means is that people who are different than others would actually find a way of getting along. What it does not mean is governmental, political policies and people to vote for. It means on a personal, human, one-to-one -one level that we are actually willing to be friends with strangers. Now, it's not just strangers, it's people who are different. It means being friends with people who are different. And it says hospitality with one another which means that's something that we've got to figure out how to do here before we do it with those outside. We live in a city of strangers, don't we? And we see those with needs more often than we see those that are different than us in other ways. 
And so it would be easy for our minds to go there, and our minds should go there, and we should find ways to serve those in need around us. But this is calling us to do it, if I could say it this way, in-house before we do it outside of here. That we find ways to actually say, it, 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 it literally means that it involves our homes and our food. I like that it's that specific. Our homes and our food. I was talking with friends this week and they were commenting how it seems like as our city is changing, that it becomes less and less normal or common to invite somebody just over to our space. Apartment, studio, dorm, house, whatever it might be, and say, come into my... This is saying, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, this is one way we can actually live differently and say, I'm going to invite you into my home and I'm going to give you some of my food, or you can bring some of your own and we can do it together. But we're willing to be and spend time on that level of, which is actually fairly personal, with someone who I don't quite know who is different. But we're trying to follow Jesus together in this crazy, wacky world and city. And so one of the ways is to be open with our, our space, our food, our time, and ourselves, and that we actually look, look different because of that. I think we do that fairly well as a church. But I need to let you know that there's a difference between feeling like you're connected and you're in, and you're just kind of here, but you don't really connect and you're not in. And so for those of us that feel like we're connected and we're in, that we're constantly on the look for those of us sitting around here, are, do you, are you connected here? Do you have friends? Are you known? That we would actually risk that and saying, hey, how, how long have you been around? Do you know anybody here? Can I introduce you to somebody else? Can we go have lunch? Can you come over to my house? That we take that risk and do that. There, I don't know. I don't have like stats. We haven't done, you know, we, I didn't, you didn't fill something out when you came in, but there are more than a few of us that are sitting here this morning that maybe really like being here on a Sunday, but we haven't quite figured out how to get into relationship. And I know that there's those of you out here that are like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm not in for the relational thing. I love singing and studying God's word together, and that's fine. I'm out. And that, that's fine. You know, God's going to continue to transform you, and you'll get there. But <laughs> there are others of us that are sitting here wondering, and I shared this last week. One of, the, one of the amazing gifts that God gave me dealing with this whole spleen thing is, is how, how loved Abby and I are. You brought food over to our house. Man, what would it be like sitting here and saying, if I had a medical emergency, who would do that? Would I, would I have to be on Postmates all the time? Will you love me? Will you bring me food? No, that's, that's what we should get to do for one another. We should get to do that for one another. That's what it means to be hospitable. Last thing is this, it's come and combined two together. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so in the strength God provides so that in all things, there it is at the, at the end, in all things, and it's referencing what God's kingdom showing up more and more in our lives and in our world today. In all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. How is that happening? Through the person and work of Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In serving and speaking, really quick here, that when we do that, we should do it through the power of God, not through our own power, but that when we feel empowered by God and called by God and led by God to serve, that we should serve. And then when we speak, whoa, imagine that. Imagine if every time we spoke, we actually said, these are the words of God. Man, I would not want to know my batting average on that. 
I'm speaking, I'm speaking the words of God. But what it says here is it uses economic terms. And what it means is when you serve and when you speak, if you'd imagine yourself as the, as the steward, as the manager over a household, that everything that the house does and needs that we're thinking and we're managing and we're planning ahead so that when I'm, that's the approach to take that when I open my mouth and say words and when I serve another person. And again, in the, in the family, we learned to do that before outside but that we serve and speak and we think about it. And, it. and it says the grace that God has given, and grace there is a word that covers everything God provides. It includes everything as tangible as money, as it does to our spiritual gifts and our time and our energy and all of it. And how do we give that to God's people? That we do that with a, with a perspective that God has, has come to us in Jesus, has conquered death and the elemental powers of this world, and he's resurrected, he's conquered them, and he's instituted a new way of existing and living. And he's invited us into it. And if you put up the, the, the verse from chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. When we behave in these four different ways, when we pray, love, are hospitable, and serve, and speak in a way. This is, this is what's happening. It was earlier in First Peter. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a temple to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is how we do that. This is how we become that real life, flesh and blood temple that's not a building, that's people in the here and now where everything is different. Because we've been alert and sober-minded that everything has changed because Jesus has come and now we live more into his kingdom every day. And that the end of all things is not the, the breaking point in the time it ends. It's just we step into more of his kingdom off into eternity. Coming to the table and taking a little piece of bread or a cracker and dipping it into the juice is a way that we remind ourselves and teach ourselves and tell ourselves again and again, again and again, that this is the landscape that we find ourselves. This is the telos. We're in it now. And so we need to taste that over and over and over again. And so I want you to close your eyes with me and we're going to pray. And as you're ready, we're going to come to these tables. There's some in the balconies at the front on this end. And then there's, there's two up front and one in the middle of the room. And, and so Jesus, as we come this morning, as we come not just to these tables, but as we come to you, we're reminded that you're alive and that you're present among us. We're reminded that you've conquered death and risen again. We're reminded that the love that we're to have for one another, that you modeled, that you set the example, that you went first, and so that we would step into more of being like you in the here and now. And so Jesus, as we come as your people, would you continue to form us more into your temple, your people in the world here and now? And would the world see us? And when they see us, that they would see you. We're so grateful to be invited into that by you this morning and every morning.